confused a lot about it. Order in the class, please. So we're going to start in, and I don't know what you're going to get out of it, but Brother Host Talk can verify that I have spent literally this week hours, and I come in last night to put my things away from being at Brother Galway's church in Pontiac, and I got just as soon as I could got into it, and I spent more hours in it last night. It's something that's challenging. How many like to run scriptures through the Bible? Just kind of trace it in your marginal column there and, and just run it. And then when you get to that one, run some others. Well, I did that. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It's informative. It takes you back to the Old Testament and brings you into the New Testament and connects the two and lets you know that God does have a central theme throughout the whole Bible, and that's his children, his people. And this is where we're going to go this morning. I want to give you food for thought, and I want to challenge you to start searching out some of these phrases yourself or maybe a word uh, in this and see what you come up with. But, of course, we've also got other books there at the house, study books and things that I get into and go from one to another. And that, too, is informative. Okay, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Blythnia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the Lord, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to the inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. That's a salutation. We say, Dear John, how are you? I am fine. Well, basically, that's what he's coming across with right here. Now, I hope we get through to that fourth verse this morning. There's a lot to look at. We need to look first at Peter and realize that Peter was a fisherman. His brother Andrew brought him to Jesus Christ. Of course, a lot of this you already know, and I'm not saying you don't, but it challenged me. And whenever the Lord began to deal with Peter's heart, he became a very impetuous man, a very quick-tempered, so to speak, man. He wanted action, and he wanted it now. He didn't like to wait on things. And oftentimes, his mouth got in gear before he put his brain in motion or in action. And by doing this, he had a lot of repentance to do, and he made a lot of mistakes. And I began to search that out and read about Peter, and I thought, oh, God, that's just like me. I put my mouth in action before I start my brain to working. And then I thought, I wonder how many in church do that. No hands, please. <laughs> but I wonder how many of us sometimes just start prattling off and rattling off, and then we think, oh, Lord, that didn't come out the way I wanted it to. <laughs> and when this happens, maybe we've made an offense to somebody. I hurt somebody's feelings that we never intended it that way at all. 
but God knows. And again, like Peter, you have to go before the Lord and you have to cry out, God, forgive me, I can't bring the words back. But you can let that individual begin to think about it and know that I didn't mean it in the way to hurt. Now, we've been in churches and heard ministers say things from the pulpit, and we knew what they had said in context with what they were preaching, what they had said was not that at all. How many of you have ever heard somebody call Peter John or Paul? And you knew, and they were reading it, but it was just like I got a while ago. I saw the, the word Lord, and I put it up there, blessed be God, the God. I said, blessed be the Lord God. And, and things like this happen. And a lot of times it's Satan. But we as God's children aren't careful enough. First, engage brain, then speak. And that's what I hope to do. But Peter, we know, means a stone. And it was given to him by Jesus. And this is maybe where the Christian name started. My Christian name is Bonda Joyce. And my maiden name was Baker. And my married name is I don't know. That's just food for thought. Search it out and see what you did. But Peter is a name to be prized. Or your Christian name is a name to be prized. Because when your mom and dad named you, they give it a lot of thought. And they had it in reference to somebody. One of the people at the conference, her name was a little different. And she said she was named for her uncle. Her mother's favorite uncle, whom she loved dearly. It was a, a little strange name, but that was... <coughs> That's all right. It was a beautiful name. So when we think about our name, don't be upset with what your name is. Thank God that your mom and dad give it some thought and named you that particular name. I have a dear friend. Her name was Margie. And uh, in the process, she didn't like her name Margie. And after years and years and years going through life, married life, having her children, they were raised, they were married, she decided she wanted to change her name. So she took Mar, and her husband's name was Dan, and she put it together and got Marta. Well, now, everybody can call her Marta that wants to, but she'll always be Margie to me. Because I knew her by that name. I worked with her by that name. I fellowshiped with her in the Church of God by that name. I mean, God's house, not the Church of God. But it was beautiful. And her parents would give a lot of thought to that, but she didn't want this is the same way it is with Peter here. Peter wants you to know who he is. First off, in other words, he's saying, I, Peter, I'm writing this letter. Okay, then it says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He just makes it plain. His office was apostleship and his commander was Jesus Christ. Now, how many of us today start off our letters like that? And I thought, oh, Lord, if I could just write letters like I judge a servant of Jesus Christ. A servant is my office and my commander is Jesus Christ. He was one of the first called apostles. Now let me show you something. He saw and heard firsthand of what Jesus had to say. He was a personal witness. If you got him on a witness stand this morning and interrogated him, he could say, I saw it. I heard it. I'm a personal witness. We need to think this morning, how can we be a personal witness for Jesus Christ for him, not against him? Will our life bear the idea that we are for Jesus Christ? Or will our life bear the idea that we're against him? The way we walk, the way our family sees us, the way our neighbors sees us, the way our colleagues see us. 
He got his orders out of the mouth or his commission out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. That was what he was supposed to do. And this is what he did. It took him a lot of heartache and a long way around, but he eventually learned to come in under what Christ had said and do his commission, which was to feed his lambs and sheep. And also, we talk here about an inner core, an inner circle. You all are the inner circle of this church. All of you. Because, see, we're not big enough to have just a few here. We need all of you. You all are important. Your input is important. This is why Brother Gene said this morning, we need to go look at that church. We need to see what we think about it. Or we all need to go look at a piece of property or a house or whatever it is. We are the inner core of this church. When other people come in, they're not going to get in on the ground floor like you have. They're going to be added to you round about. They're going to make another ring out there. But Christ's inner circle was James and John and Peter. Wherever you saw them, most of the time, if when you read, you'll find one was on one side of him and one was on the other. And I'm almost sure you'd find Peter right in front of him. It seemed to me like he was stumbling all over Peter. Every time he turned around, something was happening. And I think Peter a lot of times walked backwards because he fell so many times. But that's not his disgrace. That is to say they encompassed round about. Jesus Christ was the very center, and they went around him. We find out here that he is an apostle now. He is no longer that impetuous Peter, but he is a settled Peter. He has been changed by the word, by the spirit, by the power. When that rooster crowed the third time, that was the end of impetuous Peter. From then on, he was bold. He was brave. He wasn't afraid any longer. Remember, he ran away when a woman talked to him. But he wasn't that anymore. He stood up before the crowds and said, we're not drunk as you're supposed. And he went on to preach one of the greatest messages that was ever ministered. And he's not a coarse person, but he's gentle here. Just kind of compare what he did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then come over here to First and Second Peter. And you get the idea he is firm. He's not harsh with people any longer. And he's not brazen, but he's very understanding. He's not short-tempered with you anymore. I want it now. I want it now. But Peter had fallen in his old life. And now he was raising, risen anew. And by this happening, now he was more understanding. You know, when you have problems, and then somebody else comes after you work that problem out, and they say, I had such and such a problem. Please don't think me stupid, but would you help me? You can have all kinds of compassion on that person. Because you fell. And you want understanding. And see, this is the way Peter is here. And Peter is no longer a braggart. I'll cut the ears off. I'll cut the head off of whoever says anything against you, Lord. If they try to take you as a prisoner, Lord, I'll just slash them to pieces with my sword. You don't hear that now. But what you hear is somebody that has love in their heart and reaches out and they are modest. He says, just simply, I, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He didn't say, I'm the leader. He didn't say, I'm the president, I'm the chairman, I'm the spokesman of the group. He didn't say that. 
very simple. He said, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to get into three different theories here. And it's funny because there's a lot of people who turn you off on all of them, but that's okay. Here we go. To the strangers scattered throughout. Now, if you follow what the scripture has to say here in my book with my center column references, it's going to take you back to the Old Testament. All right. But then, if you follow it another way, it's going to go another direction. But the theory, number one theory, what I saw and what I read here, this is given to the lost ten tribes of Israel. Okay. That someday... In their future, they were to hear this gospel. All right? They were the chosen people of God. And notice the language as it refers to in the Old Testament. In verse 2, verse 4, verse 16, verse 17, verse 19, and verse 20. It seems to infer that these people are going to have to hear this gospel because they are the chosen. Even though they're separated from the tribes of Benjamin and they're separated from the tribe of Judah, okay, and the Levites, some of the tribe of Levites, even though they're separated from that message has got to go to them almost first because they are the chosen. Now, what happens, we don't know. I told you I did reference. Okay. says it shall come to pass in the Lord in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant remember the first time was in Nehemiah said the second time to recover the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria from Egypt from Parthos from Cush from Elam from Shinar from Hamath and from the islands of the sea and he shall set up an ensign, or a sign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now that's in Exodus 23 and 17 and also in Isaiah 11, 11 and 12. And then we can take this right on over. It goes James 1 and 1. It says, James, the servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. And that will lead you to John 7 and 35. And on and on I could go with this, but I think that gives you just a little bit of a sampling. And Paul in the book of Acts says, I am a Jew. I was born in Tarsus. See, his father was a Roman. But his mother was a Benjamite. But he called himself a Jew. So Paul was really a Benjamite. If that's the case, Paul was from the same tribe as Jeremiah was. But we read on the day of Pentecost how many people came together from all over the four corners of the world. So I'm wondering, okay, if I got that down here. Am I getting ahead? I've read so much. <laughs> but anyway, uh, verse 1 and 20 seems to be the clincher for this. Uh, I'll get to that other later. Let's go to verse 20 right now. Uh, first chapter of Peter. 
says, Who verily was foreordained from the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. All right? What we're trying to do is to show that God has his hand on everything and everybody, and you're not lost to God. I don't care if it's the darkest night and you're committing the worst sin in the world, God sees it. So you don't go anywhere and get lost for what God doesn't see where you're at. I don't care if it's in a big city or if it's in the jungles of Africa. God knows where you're at. And he knows where these lost tribes are, evidently, from what his word says. Number two, theory. It was written to the scattered. Now, some people say that it's the scattered Christians at this time, the Jews of the Christians in the Gentile countries. And they quote Paul that he and Barnabas would first go into a country and preach to the Jews. But the Jews, most of them, would reject Paul and Barnabas' message, and then he'd take it to the Gentiles. And that's according to Acts 15 and 7. Galatians 2, 11 through 14. Hearing, uh, from the hearing of preaching or teaching on the day of Pentecost. Now, this is where this theory came in, and we can go right back to Acts. Had it marked and I lost my marker. Okay, in the second chapter, excuse me, and the verse 7, it says, They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all of these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the Mesopotamia, from Judah, from Cappadocia, in Pontus, in uh, Asia. Look at this. This is where we're coming to now. With the same of them, some of the names are the same. And Pergera, and Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in parts of Libya, and Serene, and strangers of Rome, and Jews, and proselytes, and Greeks, and Arabians. All of these said they heard them speak in their own tongues when it was the Holy Ghost speaking. Now that kind of verifies what Brother Lanning told us the other night in Bangladesh when somebody got the Holy Ghost and speak beautiful, spoke beautiful English. See, the Holy Ghost is merely using a tongue that God has already created, but you don't know. And I think this is so beautiful. But this is the second theory. The third theory is for believers everywhere, just the readers of the Bible and then those who become believers. So I've given you three theories, and I'd like for you to kind of get busy on it, search it out, and see what you think about it, and see which theory you go along with. It may not be what I believe, and what I believe may not be what you believe. But according to this, it's left it open for our own interpretation. And a lot of times God doesn't do that, but it's interesting. It's very interesting. I know in Bird's Eye, I was teaching a lesson one day, and I gave them different theories, and I had one of the brothers come up, the older brothers, and he says, I don't care what you say. I don't believe it that way. I believe it that way. <laughs> well, that was his prerogative. It wasn't a soul salvation thing. It was just simply the theories of man putting forth and letting you decide which area you want to go with. All right, he says, and to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Blythnia. All right, uh, we read in Acts 2 about Pontus. We read in Acts 18 and 2 about Pontus again. 
We read about Galatia. We know Paul's written a whole book to the Galatians. So there was a work done there. And Cappadocia, well, that was just southeast of Galatia, so that really wasn't all that far away from Galatia. Paul could have went there. Peter could have went there. Uh, the people that were there on the day of Pentecost that heard the message would have went home and told them. Maybe all they had was a little prayer meeting group like you and I got here. We're not a prayer meeting group anymore. I don't know why I say I don't like it. We are a church. We were a prayer meeting group, but now we are a church. We've got to get the idea in our head. We are a church. No longer prayer meeting. Start thinking church. And maybe that's where our block is. Maybe we're blocked in with that idea. I don't know. Asia. Asia will include Myasia, Lycia, Caria, and many more territories in the country of Asia and mostly Asia Minor. And Blythea was northeast of Asia. And you find that in Acts 16 and 7. Some of this information I've got from other books. Anyway, it's very interesting to know how God gets his word around. There is a man out in Washington, the state of Washington, and he preaches. As a matter of fact, he wrote verbatim a message that Brother Hostlaw preached at a conference. He put it in the book, put his name on it, that he was the one that did it. But years and years ago, Brother Hostlaw preached that at a conference. The very same way, the very same illustrations all down through the line. But this is fine, because this man may have even forgot he heard Brother Hostlaw preach. The message belongs to God. But what I'm trying to show here is how God's Word can spread from one person to another person to another person. You all go back home to Massachusetts and you begin to talk about God and the messages you've heard. What you've done is to carry the gospel to Massachusetts. When Brother Colin goes down to where his mother is and he begins to tell him what's going on in this church and some of the messages are ministered here. Okay, we send tapes to Bill and Marge. See, we're sending the message. And some of those people will hear that and never know who the preacher was when... First thing you know, some minister over there is going to pick up something, say, oh, I like this thought, I like this idea, and he'll develop it for himself. How do we know? Because we do it. <laughs> we don't feel like we're plagiarizing at all. But we feel like that by adding to it according to this church's need, that's exactly what you're going to get. The same thing. So isn't God marvelous in the way he communicates? He doesn't need television. He doesn't need a telephone or telegraph. He just needs people that will talk about him and let them take the word wherever they go. I think it's so terrific. This month. I'm really excited about God and how God's word can get around because I know we're going to hear bits and pieces from Brother Hicks' messages and also from Brother Barnes' messages because it was good. It was really rich and good. But some of it wouldn't apply to our church because it was done for that particular area. But let's come down here and apply it to ours, and it will be. And I think you're going to be very well fed. In verse 2, it says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, I centered in on the word elect. And to do this, I had to get a hold of Nave's uh, book. And this just takes scriptures according to topics. And elect in Greek means to the elect or the sojourners of the dispersion. 
Now, when you go back and read, who was dispersed? The 12 tribes of Israel. The 10 tribes were scattered and dispersed. Then the other two were scattered and dispersed, but they were brought back in Nehemiah. Okay? So we've got that in that area. Exodus 33, 12 and 13. John 10, 15 and 16. Will more or less lead us into this same train of thought. And we, as God's children, are his elect. We are chosen of God. We don't ever have to be ashamed to be called a Christian. Because you see, not everyone is chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. God deals with the heart of almost everybody in this world. I don't know of any individual. He's never dealt with their heart or he won't deal with their heart in the future. But just because God is calling them into his uh, mission, into his work, into his arms, to love them and shield them and protect them doesn't mean they're going to come in. Sometimes it's various reasons they don't come in, but they don't come in. But we are God's elect. We are God's chosen. We are God's church. Why? Because we've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And we are His. It's like we have a great big label or a great big brand on us that says, you are mine. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, God's name isn't Israel. God's name is Jesus. And if we are called by his name, we are his elect. We are his chosen. So we need to get hold on ourselves and hold our head up high, not our nose in the air to get raindrops in it, but hold your head up high on an even keel, and when hell bombards you, say, that's all right, Satan, you can't get me down because I am a child of the king. I am God. I belong to him. And walk that way. Well, I got me through college, I'll tell you that, when all these other young people were running around and here I was a mother of four teenagers going back to school and I hear these young people say things and do things and gosh, they had all that energy and I didn't have any. And, and I really, you know, I felt down sometimes. But then all of a sudden, the host call ministered a message in the congregation and that message took me through four years of college. And I want you to know I held on to it and I hold on to it today. I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I don't go by their laws or their rules or their regulations. Now, I'm not going to break the laws of this country because I am from another country and I'm going to respect this country that I'm in. I'm going to honor their laws. I'm not going to drive 75 miles an hour. But I'm going to honor the laws and I'm going to respect those laws because I am an ambassador from another country and if anybody looks at me, they're going to be able to say, hey, you're all right. You're doing pretty good in our country. You're holding up the standards of your country and our country. And yet you appreciate our country so much that you're obeying our laws. So when those kids would come around and they would talk about things they did and so on and so forth, they said, Miss Hopefall, what did you do last night? Did you have a good time? I said, boy, you better believe it. I went to church. Oh. And I said, no, not all. It was great. I had a terrific service. 
so-and-so was healed last night. So-and-so got a blessing last night. And Mrs. So-and-so came in, and, and I wouldn't, that's what I said, Mrs. So-and-so came in, and she had, was terrifically depressed, but when she left the service, she wasn't depressed anymore. So they got so they knew when they talked to Mrs. Hoslaw, they were going to get a report. I listened to what they did last night, so they listened to what I did. But soon they got to tell them, they, not, they didn't tell me what they did that night before because they didn't want to hear it. But then again, there was some that would come around when I was sitting in an area studying. And they said, Miss Hoslaw, what did you do last night? And they knew what I did. But they wanted me to talk to them about God. But when the bell rang, I didn't sit there and talk about God. I went to my class. You see what I'm saying? And that's what we've got to do. We've got to show them that we're willing to listen and willing to expound to them. But we owe our employer something. I've heard people say, well, I took an hour on the job to explain it. You're not doing right. You're not doing your employer right. Your employer is paying you to do his work. Now, if you've got a break, if you've got a lunch hour, or whatever you've got on your own time, fine. But don't use your boss's time. It's not good. It's not a good witness. And it sure doesn't leave a good taste in the boss's mouth a lot of times for that sort of thing to happen. So we've got to be careful because we are the elect of God. Just uh, as in Matthew 24, 21, 22, 24, and 31. Ephesians 1 and 4 will tell us we are the elect of God. Number two point, Israel of old was God's elect or God's chosen. As with Isaiah 45, 4, Isaiah 65, 9. And you know what? Jesus even talks about him in Luke 18, verses 7 and 8. Jesus even talks about the 12 tribes. So we know he's still thinking about it, even in Jesus' day. That a truth taught from Genesis to Revelation, God does have a chosen and elect people. If we could get that through our head, they said, well, God's a merciful God. He's not going to let anybody be lost. No, he's not going to let them. You choose that for yourself. You choose to answer God's call or you choose to ignore it. And when you choose to ignore it, you're not God's elect anymore. He cannot use somebody that will not listen to his voice or his call. So we have the choice. He's made us free moral agents. We choose to do God's will and be obedient, or we choose to disobey God and not do any of his will. And let me tell you something. God doesn't like token allegiance. God wants total commitment absolutely total commitment somebody mentioned it at the conference and i thought it was kind of nice they said if you have a glass of milk from a cow that is just a token commitment but it's when you have the steak that makes total commitment see you have to die to get the steak but you don't have to die to get the milk so this is where we need to watch out where are we at Galatians 2 and 1 through 3 says this is a great mystery. That's where it refers to it, but this is out of the pulpit commentary that I'm going to read now. This is a great mystery. Let it rest in the... It 
But God has guidelines, and he set these guidelines in motion through this word of God for us to follow and us to obey. And that's why it's important we know the word of God. We need to read the word of God daily. We need to get into it. As Brother Hicks says, we ought to have our hour of prayer daily with God. He calls it an hour of power. And it was good. It was delicious. It was just seeming like what I needed. And it's fantastic when you can give God that hour. And you don't really realize it's gone. I mean, because everything goes smoother and everything works together. When you get into the harmony with God, it works together. Put, therefore, as the elect of God, and again, Colossians 3, 12, and 13, we need to see and study on the word elect and go through the scriptures talking about the elect and see the promises that are made to the elect. And there's so many benefits. We use that word a lot in this day and age. What are the benefits of serving God? Well, look up the word elect and begin to search the scriptures for it. And you're going to find there is tremendous benefit just for you if you are obedient, if the elect is obedient. Remember in Habakkuk's time, the elect was not obedient. They were half-hearted. Some of them wasn't even that. And this is why the calamity was coming on their lives. But here, if we are obedient, then God, through his mysterious ways of working, this is where the mystery comes in, is how can God take a group of people and follow them about every day? He knows of your marriages. He knows of your divorces. He knows of your inner mind. He knows of your workings. He knows every job you've ever had. He knows every thought you've ever had. How can God do that? He's God. He's God. He knows the secret desires of your heart. He knows the good thoughts. He knows the evil thoughts. And that's why if we repent of the evil thoughts, then that gets all cleared off. But you take a blackboard and you erase what you've written on it, if it's an error. And whenever this happens, you don't see that anymore. You write something good on top of it. And that's what we need to realize and do this. The next portion of that phrase is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The foreknowledge of God because he knew from the very beginning what the ending was going to be. He knew in Genesis 1 and 1 when he says, In the beginning, God. And he knew exactly what revelation was going to turn out when he comes There is a foreknowledge. Now, some people go along with predestination. That's number one theory. There's another theory that people don't want to predestination. <laughs> I'm going to leave that right where it's at. Almighty God, I am. I am the great I am. I am Jehovah. God has had many names down through the years of time for that group of people that he worked with. He has had many pronouns, which means it relates to him, it describes him, but it wasn't his name. When it comes right down to it, the only name that he has ever had is Jesus. Because Almighty God, that isn't the name. 
that just tells us he's almighty, all-powerful. When he says, I am, in other words, there's nothing without me. I am all in all. When he says that I'm Jehovah, how many names have we as humans been able and scholars been able to apply to the name Jehovah? Jehovah Raphael, I am God, your protector, and all of these. But they just simply describe something else. Okay, foreknowledge of God. This is what we're talking about. His foreknowledge. And he appears to us in his name. He opens it up. And Isaiah 9 and 6, it says, His name shall be called Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. Those are all pronouns. Those are all descriptive. Is that right, Heather? Is that what a pronoun is? Descriptive of a noun? Or in place of, but it's not the noun. Right, Keith? <laughs> but if I said he run and jump, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, six. But if I said, Keith, run and jump, then Keith would know to run and jump, right? So we have to be very careful that we don't associate and say it's actually a name we can substitute of our recognition of. Keith knows, God knows the past, the present, and the future. God is the Father of us all. He is our heavenly Father. His throne is in the heavens, and yet... With him being able to encompass this globe, all the globe, and to be able to look out over the universe and rule the universe, he's still able to come into my heart and your heart. That's a mystery. I don't know how God does it. I guess if I had a title, it's called the mystery of God. Because I don't know how God does it. But I know one thing, he does it. Last night at 10.39, I was awakened from the sleep, and I was seeing these two cars coming down the road as fast as they could go. One car was making a turn in the road, the other car, and it was a brown car, it was a brown car, come around the other direction but came over that center line. I could see that going to happen. I could see that accident if, if I was standing up here and looking down. And it woke me up, and I immediately started to pray. I didn't see it, but I thought, oh, God, I don't know who was in that car, but get them back on their side before they have a head-on crash. Now, whether it was uh, for God to wake me up at that particular time and tell me there was actually going to be a crash, or if I prayed, there would not be a crash. But when I looked at the clock, it was 1031. I don't know how God does it. But I saw those as if I was in a helicopter looking right down on that road. I saw them that plane. Now, where's that? I don't know. But I know he is my God. He is my heavenly Father. He was the one that was looking down, and he gave it to me. And I felt good after I prayed. I mean, I prayed. Because I don't know if that's one of my children. Maybe they, I didn't even see the car that was driving on the right side of the road. All I saw was the brown car that come over the yellow line, double yellow line. And I saw that. But when I got to praying, 
I mean, I prayed so hard, I began to preach fire. And we had the heat turn way down there. So I know God heard my prayer because I felt good when I got up. That he, he had control of all things. He is our Heavenly Father. He calls His elect and His chosen. He calls us to repentance. But He doesn't call us to stay in that little repentance stage. He calls us for, to repentance here, and then we're to move over to here, which is maturity. We are not to make the same mistakes we repented of here. But as we go along this life road, we will make mistakes. We kneel down and pray, God, forgive me of my mistakes and help me not to do those again. My sins are the mistakes I make. And I'm to get up and walk on and not go back to this one spot any longer. But the next time I'm to move on down the road. And this is what God wants his people to do. He calls them to repentance and then he tells them to go on into the church. Some people have been in the church for 25 and 30 and 35 and 40 and 50 years. And somebody said the other day, somebody was 75 years in one church. That's great. But how mature are they? Do they just sit there and heal about, hear about Jonah and the whale? Or the three Hebrew children? Or some of the others? We've told our children so much that now they don't even realize it's a truth. They think it's a fairy tale. And it grieves my heart whenever somebody starts talking about Alice in Wonderland and the next thing you know they've got Jonah and the whale because they put it in the same category. That's not maturity, children. Maturity is when you realize that Jonah was in that whale for disobedience and not doing what God called him to do in the first place. Now, how many times have we got in the belly of a whale? I mean, in situations where we've looked around and we are covered with sin and debris and the things of this world have encompassed us about so much that it's actually made us sick at our stomach. We should when we're caught in that situation. That's no more than what Jonah did when he was in the belly of the whale. Here come the seaweeds, here come the chime, here comes the food that was trying to dissolve for his body's nourishment. But he got all tangled up in it. And it was a stink. It was a mess. Don't we do that when we get encumbered with the world? And we lay aside the things of God and we go a different direction than what God told us to do? On our piano, we had the praying hands. And they light up at night. And it's gorgeous just to go in there at night and look at those hands. The tranquility that can come over you and yet the thoughts that God begins to place in your mind and let them begin to roll. First of all, you see the hands. I mean, they're very distinct. You see all the knuckles and the wrinkles and the veins and all of these things, the fingernails, right there. But when you have the lights all out at night, it lights the whole room. Oh, not with the brilliancy of neon lights, but it lights the whole room. That's one thing you know. We as God's children should light the whole area where we are with the presence and the power of God. His light should shine through us, and we should not see each other. We should see God in you, the Holy Spirit. And then I, I was sitting there, and I looked at that light, and I thought, oh, God, it, it, it's so gentle. It looked like you could take a tiny, tiny baby when it was first born and put it in those hands 
and it would sleep securely and serenely and nothing would be And yet this is what God does with us day in and day out, time in and time out. He holds us in the palms of His hands. And when danger comes, if we'll permit, He'll enclose His mighty, wonderful hands around us and secure us from all harm. Now if somebody beat on that hand, that would jar whatever inside. Sometimes we might get jarred, but we don't have to worry because His hands are got When we are obedient to the Word of God and to His commands, we don't have to worry about Satan coming and saying, you're in the wrong place, you're doing the wrong thing. If God has told you that you're in the right place and you're there, he says, I'm going to protect you and I'm going to hold you right there. I'm going to hold you right there in my hands and take care of the situation until I want you to leave and then I'll open up my hands and let you walk but then I'll get you in. God is all powerful. I don't know how he does. But his mystery is wonderful because he takes each one of us and holds us in those beautiful things. Another topic altogether that would get a good message in his hands. He calls us to various positions in his body, which is the church. A lot of times we think the only position in the church is to be a pastor, a prophet, an evangelist teacher or what, but we could also be on the board, Sister Marcy is the secretary, treasurer, and the bookkeeper, she's in the ministry of God, the law keeper, Brother Bill, he's a policeman in the national, but if they had a disturbance in here, immediately he would rise up with his training and be able to cope with the problem that's inside the church, all right, the lawmaker, which is the core of the church make the laws of the church. We need to realize that prayer warriors are part of God's intricate measure. Soul winners, verbal witness. There are people that can witness to other people that you couldn't even touch. The Holy Spirit leads them to one person and says witness. So maybe they pass 10 other people on the right. But the Holy Spirit is witness and they're witness and they're witness. All of this is the various position that God calls us in his body to do. There's more. People that clean the church, they have a definite, beautiful position in God to clean this church for the Shekinah glory of an almighty God. Now, he doesn't have to have this church dwell in. He dwells in us. We should clean ourselves up sometimes on the inside out, not just on the outside in. But God desires to have the freshness, the cleanliness. And this is why it's so important that we always keep our church clean and looking nice. It's so that God's Spirit will want to come in. I've seen places when I've walked into and I've been ashamed. I mean, you saw cobwebs, you saw dust, the corners were filled with dead bugs, where they just took a, a dust mop and a swoosh. You could tell it. But you could tell it when you came in and the building was clean. The dusting was done. The cobwebs were not done. You know, sometimes your prayers can get caught in the cobwebs if you have to. Sometimes they can because they don't get very high. And God knows on whom he can depend. He gives 
you a job, me a job, but he knows beforehand if he can depend on you or not. But he's giving you the choice. And sometimes I think God likes to be He knows if your old sister so and so that sits home in her rocking chair and is not able to get out. He knows he can depend on her for a prayer. And he calls sister so and so lives next door that's fully able body and capable to be a prayer warrior. He just kept on his mind. He's splitting them out. His will that any would be lost, but all should come to repentance and seek his help. But again, he did this choice. This choice he made. The next phrase he says, through the sanctification of the Spirit. Now you can compare this particular verse with 2 Thessalonians 2 and 13. Remember, this is a Sunday school. Sanctification means purifying our lives. Repentance and continuing. Filling with the Holy Ghost. We need that first infilling, but we need repeated infilling. I've talked to people in various churches and they haven't spoken in tongues since they died, they got the Holy Ghost and the day they got the Holy Ghost. And it's a shame because their life shows it. They're weak, they don't trust God, they can't believe a lot of things God wants them to believe. You can read it out of the Word of God, and they say, I don't care what the Word of God says. I'm not going to believe it. We've actually had them tell us that. And we said, Brother, sister, you've got to tell us. But he wants it completed. He wants walking and talking and doing according to the Holy Spirit. And wherever we go, whatever we do in word or in deed, we're to do it all in the name of the Lord. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And that means every day. Not just coming to church or going home. That means every day, wherever we are. Hebrews 12 and 14. Without holiness, no person can see God. We are separated from the world while in the world. We are ambassadors for Christ. And the next part of that phrase says, Unto obedience. As ambassadors, we must obey God's word and the leadership of his spirit and the country of heaven. Where are you from? I'm from heaven. Oh, really? Well, I was born in Massachusetts. Well, I was born down here, but I've been born again. And so I'm from heaven. I have God's spirit. See? You're an ambassador. You're an important person this morning. You're an important person. Somebody notify your face that you're an important person. Yeah. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 tells us part of the things that we're supposed to do. That's the fruit of the Spirit. If we are ambassadors from heaven. Paul asks us the question. You did run well. What did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? He said that in Galatians 5 and 7. See, Paul says you started out fine. Everything was going good. And why'd you sit down on the job? And that's exactly what he meant. And the next part of that, I'd like to finish with just one get The next part of that says, And the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Well, we've got to go back to the Old Covenant first to find out the sprinkling of the blood. Exodus 24 and 3. Exodus 24 and 8. Exodus 19 and 10. The blood is on Israel. The Old Covenant says Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you. Covenant is a contract, a promise, all different sorts of things, but he's made this covenant with the children of Israel. And the new covenant is in Matthew 26 and 28 and Mark 14 and 24. Jesus' blood was shed on the cross for all of us once and for all. But we must apply it. No longer is a priest going to come around and sprinkle you with blood. But we have to apply that to our lives. And we accept God into our hearts. We have a choice. We have a choice. The blood of Jesus Christ is cleansing us from all sin. It is continuing forever if we are abiding in him. The choice of the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit, and the redemption of the Son is basically what we've completed in these two verses. But it's all complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, not that. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Daniel 4 and 1, Daniel 6 and 25. This is to the elect of God. This is to us. Look what it says. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Not just a little bit of grace, not just a little bit of peace in your life, but let it be multiplied. How is it going to be multiplied? As much as you'll let it be multiplied. You're the one that puts the limits on it. God does. He opens up the windows in heaven and he wants to shower us with grace. And he wants to shower us with peace. But we're the ones that lose. Grace is the unmerited favor of God being multiplied unto you and peace is peace and healthy, calm in the storm, silence in turmoil, love in the times of hate, good in the times of evil, comfort in the times of stress and distress, distress and all of this is to be multiplied to you. We've already gone an hour, so we'll start number three next week. Boy, it's a doozy. I've already got, I don't know, I must have to make some announcements while he's getting their offering. A 